We have the normal range and we have the optimal range. So you can be normal but not optimal. Markers such as vitamin D or vitamin B12 are not routinely tested. Cortisol, which is the stress hormone. Hemoglobin A1C, the amount of glucose that you have in your blood in the last 90 days. Almost 10 different markers related to iron. Hemoglobin there, we have ferritin there and other. What's happening inside your body today? That's basically the blood. Whether your number making you older or younger, and then you have the potential, what can you do? Welcome to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast, where we meet the world's top experts to explore the secrets of health, mindset, longevity, and so much more. Are you ready to take charge of your existence and biohack your life? This show is for you. Please keep in mind, we're not dispensing medical advice and are not responsible for any outcomes you may experience from implementing the tactics lying herein. Are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome back to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Today's episode was inspired by one of my most popular episodes to date. That was with David Sinclair, all about aging and longevity. And David has been involved with some of the amazing resources provided by Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker speaks to my heart so much it is ridiculous. It's really the future of blood and genetic testing combined. In this episode, we dive deep into what blood tests actually mean, what biomarkers you should be looking for, genetic tests, and so much more. I was actually really excited because I love getting blood tests, and I've always had so many questions about them. So in this interview, I got to actually ask all the questions I've been dying to know. I am a Himalaya Partnered Show, and if you follow the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast in the Himalaya app, you'll get early access to the podcast 24 hours in advance, so definitely check that out. Also, please join me in my Facebook community, that is Paleo OMAD Biohackers, Intermittent Fasting plus Real Foods plus Life. It's a great place for discussion about anything. So if after this you have questions about blood tests or iron or vitamins or micronutrients or what do things mean, definitely ask them there. All right, so without further ado, please enjoy this episode with Gil Blander. Hi friends. So I am super excited to be here today with Gil Blander. He is the chief science officer and co-founder of Insight Tracker. Guys, it is really a very, very cool company. It's a really modern perspective that makes interpretations of blood test results and what it means for your health very accessible, very helpful, very intuitive and knowledgeable for the everyday person. <laughs> so I think you get a lot more information than you would get from just going to your doctor and running standard blood tests. And they also do really cool things with DNA testing as well. So I am really excited to have Gil here today. I was actually introduced to his company through David Sinclair, who I had on the podcast previously. So um, I just, yeah, it's this whole world of blood tests and health biomarkers and anti-aging. So Gil, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for uh, inviting me, Melanie. I'm really excited. I am too. I have, <laughs> I have a lot of questions in general about blood tests and so many things. So I'm really excited. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. But I thought to start things off, would you like to tell listeners a little bit about your personal history and what brought you to your interest in not only Inside Tracker, but your interest in longevity and health and all of those things? Sure, yeah. So you can hear from my accent that I'm not a Native American. I was born and raised in Israel. And from a very young age, I was fascinated by the aging process. 
I assume similar to what uh, you discussed with uh, David Sinclair uh, a few weeks ago. Um, so uh, when I was 12, a, a relative of mine passed away. And instead of being uh, wo- worried or uh, uh, basically sad about air, I was sad about myself because I realized that I won't live forever. And at that time, I decided to dedicate my life to try to understand and try to find a way to live longer, better life. Um, that's the reason that I decided to study biology. Um, and that's uh, the reason that I decided to come to MIT and uh, uh, join the lab of Lenny Garente, which is uh, one of the leaders of aging research, and actually the same lab that uh, David Sinclair done his uh, postdoctoral fellowship. Um, and there I uh, studied aging uh, uh, for five years. It was a very fascinating time. I learned a lot. I uh, uh, worked on a, a lot of cool protein and uh, genes that related to longevity. And during that time, I started to be exposed to the uh, biopharmaceutical environment of uh, Kendall Square, which is the area around uh, MIT. And uh, I realized that I might contribute more to humanity if I will start my own company than uh, being a professor in the academia that might publish uh, one or two papers a year that maybe two other uh, scientists will read. So I realized that I can uh, uh, start my own company, but I wasn't... uh, sure what will be uh, the company or what should I do. So I decided to move to the industry and uh, learn from the industry and try to find a a subject that related to longevity and uh, aging and uh, started my company on. Make a long story short, I joined a a nice startup in uh, Cambridge. This startup used a system biology and a computational biology to try to find uh, and understand a a very complex uh, processes. And I decided to apply this uh, uh, platform to study and use the caloric restriction, which I'm sure that you know a lot about. And uh, as a biohacker, I'm sure that you've you done a lot, of, uh, <laughs> a lot of that. And I, I decided to try to use all the data that are publicly available, run it via the platform, and try to understand what is going under the hood. Why caloric restriction extends the life of so many uh, model organisms? So I built a model, and uh, it was a very exciting model. I I presented it in an aging research meeting, scientific meeting. Uh, I also uh, showed it to David Sinclair and Lenny Garante. And that was actually the uh, genesis of uh, Insight Tracker in a way, because what we realized that um, in caloric restriction, you don't only have one... uh, a major uh, contributor to caloric restriction. There are a lot of different pathways that uh, uh, contribute or uh, influence by caloric restriction. So even if you will have the best caloric restriction mimetics, such as uh, resveratrol or a, a NAD booster, that won't be enough. You will need a lot of those. So if you need a lot of those, we came and uh, uh, realized that maybe instead of using a a synthetic a man-made a compounds, let's try to use food as a drug of choice. Let's move a, our a, um, drug cabinet from a, a, our bathroom to the refrigerator. Let's try uh, to use that and give you the best recommendation that you can in order to optimize the most complicated machine that we have, which is our body. And based on that, Let's uh, try to use that and allow us to live a longer, better life. 
So that's basically the genesis of InsaTracker in a nutshell. I love it so much. You're really coming from a place that I and a lot of biohackers, like you mentioned, are really passionate about. It's just as far as, you know, the calorie restriction and all of these factors that can influence lifespan. And I love what you were saying about how the the food as medicine and, you know, going from that route versus just like supplements or things like that. So with Inside Tracker, one of the things I do love is how it does demystify blood tests and blood results. And um, I, I'm one of those people that love getting blood tests done. Um, like I love getting them from doctors because I love seeing all the, the readings, but it can be, I can, it can be really hard to know what they mean, even when, you know, I mean, with blood test today, it typically shows, you know, if you're in the reference range or, or, or not, but it can still be, I think, very confusing and it's hard to interpret what it actually means. So I was wondering if we could discuss a little bit about blood testing in general before looking at how you're dealing with that inside tracker. So like the, the typical ranges that people test for today, what are those based on? Are they based on healthy populations? Are they based on averages of people now, people from years ago? What are the reference ranges based on? Yeah, I think that it's a, it's a great question. And uh, I assume that uh, the majority of us don't understand uh, how and what is the normal range. So basically what the labs are doing, they are looking at a uh, thousands or tens ten of thousands of a, a, a patient or a humans that uh, have been uh, uh, run their blood via those machines. And then they basically look at the means, uh, the mean of uh, those results, and also two standard deviation uh, above or below. And but that's basically the, the normal range. So the normal range is a, a range that basically a very statistically uh, a mean that uh, look at whether you are inside or outside of a two standard deviation from the mean. Inside that, inside the calculation, you have a lot of sick people. You have everyone together. So basically, it's a normal range. It's not an optimal range. So it's not a very uh, exciting range, let's say. it. Yeah, that's one thing I was noticing when I was looking at my results in Inside Tracker was that some of my blood results, for, for instance, were showing up in the, the normal range, but then inside tracker was interpreting it as, you know, not optimal. So I was like, oh, that's, that's actually much more helpful than the typical interpretations that I receive. One more question about those ranges in general, though, are they, how often are they updated or are they updated for the actual, like each lab, the lab that you're testing with? Yeah. So uh, each lab have uh, usually its own uh, uh, normal range. Sometimes there are some updates by a, a specific entity, like, a, a, for example, for a, a, a cholesterol, there have been some uh, update uh, recently based on a new research. So it's not what I said before is the general, but sometimes there, there is some uh, a, a movement based on the uh, association that related to a specific disease that they uh, adjusting a bit the range. But again, those range are, for the whole population, they are not uh, uh, distinguished between young and old, uh, athletic active, or a couch potato, someone that drink a lot of a monk. All of us get the same range. So it's uh, a bit sad that we are still uh, using those range in uh, 2020 almost. 
one more last question about the ranges, just because I don't know who I'm going to ask this to in the future. Are the ranges now like vastly different than the ranges, you know, 40 years ago because of how health has changed so much? Do you know? In the big picture, they are not, but some of them have been a, a, a change slightly. One example is vitamin D. Uh, until a few years ago, a uh, normal range for vitamin D was about 20 units. And uh, around five years ago, uh, they decided to increase it to above 30. So there are some movement. Uh, but uh, generally, it's still uh, very similar to what happened uh, 40 years ago. Okay, so that's interesting. So did they increase it? I'm guessing they didn't increase it because people were getting more vitamin D, right? Were they increasing it because they thought people needed more vitamin D? Yeah, they increased it because they yeah they increased it because what happened is that when they looked at the population, they realized that uh, actually uh, the majority of uh, uh, the population need more vitamin D than uh, uh, 20 uh, units that uh, was the normal range. There have been a lot of studies and research that show that uh, we need more than 20, so that's why they changed it. So it's based on the research. So blood test range is covered. Okay. Um, so when you were designing Insight Tracker, how did you decide which blood tests to focus on and which, which biomarkers to test? There are different options that users can choose. Um, but Gil, how did you decide at the company which biomarkers to focus on? Yeah, it's, it's a very important question. And actually, that was uh, uh, happening at the genesis of the company almost 11 years ago. And what we have done, we um, so, so we came to the point, as I discussed before, that uh, we realized that let's make uh, food as a drug of choice and let's uh, recommend uh, uh, food based on what's happening inside the body. And then we said, okay, so what is the marker? What is the biomarker that we'll use? in order to understand what's happening in the body and then uh, tune up the, uh, the body, very similar to what we are doing to the car. I'm sure that you know, uh, uh, every 5,000 miles or so, you take the car to the technician. The technician plug a computer into the car, and the computer telling the technician exactly what should he change. Should he change oil filter, oil, and so on and so forth. The technician do that, and then the car is good for another 5,000 miles. Uh, then after 5,000 miles, you take it again to the t- uh, technician, you plug the computer again, and you might need to change different part of the car in order to allow it to live longer. Research show that uh, since incorpor- uh, incorporation of uh, uh, this technique in the 80s, uh, actually the lifespan of the car increased significantly. So we said, let's do the same for human. And the question was, how can we do that? Because today... You, ca- you can't uh, uh, connect the computer to your brain and then know exactly what's happening in your body. Not yet. So we said, let's use another uh, a marker or biomarker to do that. And we came with the blood because the blood is a liquid gold. It validates and calibrates everything. And it's so important. Um, so I started to look at the uh, catalog of uh, the big diagnostic companies, such as a, a Quest Diagnostic and LabCorp and realized that there are thousands and thousands of blood biomarkers. And when you started to think about it, uh, you will need a lot of blood to measure all of them, and also it will be very expensive. So we came with a few criteria to allow us to choose the most important blood biomarkers. So the first criteria was that we look at a biomarker of health and not a disease. 
So actually, let's look at marker like a blood glucose or fasting blood glucose, but not PSA, which is a prostate-specific antigen, which is a biomarker of a cancer. So that was one criteria. Another criteria is that those biomarkers need to be modulated using a simple and natural intervention, so such as food, supplement, exercise, and lifestyle changes. So I don't want to look at the biomarker that I cannot change because then I feel like I'm wasting your money. And the last one is our biomarkers that at least 1% of the population are outside of the normal range. So I don't want to look at a bizarre biomarker that only one in a million will be out of the normal range because, again, then I feel like I'm wasting the money. So after doing all of that, we pinpoint around 45 uh, uh, blood biomarkers out of a list of around 5,000 biomarkers that are fitting all of those criteria that I mentioned before. Awesome. And now I'm just super curious. So what would an example be of uh, both a biomarker that is not easy to change and then a biomarker that barely anybody is out of range in? Yeah, so uh, biomarkers that is are not easy to change are all the thyroid-related uh, biomarkers. Oh, okay. T3, T4. So a lot of our uh, users asking us to test them and asking why aren't you using them, and we are saying, yeah, yeah, yeah they are very important, and uh, definitely, especially in women, they are uh, uh, regulating a lot of uh, uh, the metabolism. But uh, it's very hard to modulate them uh, without a drug. So that's an example of a, a biomarker that we are uh, uh, not testing because of that. There are some other biomarkers that are uh, really, really uh, um, not a, a, a very common uh, uh, out of a range for a, a lot of the population, such as uh, 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 heavy metals and other that uh, it's li- literally one in a thousand, one in a 10,000. So we decided not to test them. Okie dokie. Well, as listeners know, I actually failed on the heavy metal front of things. Um, I was out of range for the for mercury, which was not fun. Just going off that really quickly. So if somebody did have like a knew that they had a thyroid issue, for example, could they work on that in conjunction with working with Inside Tracker on these other factors, or would that be something they would want to work on first and then do the more more of the stuff with Inside Tracker, or could they be doing all of it at the same time? They would just be working with a different doctor for thyroid. Yeah, so I think that that's a, a, a very very important question, and we are not a, a service that diagnosed or treat a disease. And we are a, a wellness solution. So if someone, uh, as you said, have an issue with the thyroid hormones, we strongly suggest that he or she will work with it uh, with their uh, physician. Their physician can clear them and tell them, hey, it's okay that you will in parallel work with InstaTracker, and then we don't have a problem with that. But we are a, a, a very seriously looking at a, a, the wellness domain, and we are not uh, trying to replace or, uh, or walk uh, around the physician. So we are trying to stay in the wellness domain. Okay, gotcha. Another question about taking the blood test and the results before we go into maybe the details of the individual things that you're testing. But when a person does take their blood test, is it just a snapshot of that current moment? Like how fast do things change in the blood based on your last meal, 
um, whether or not you're, you exercise that day, whether or not you're stressed, like how, how fast do those things change? And for example, if somebody were to test their blood, all the same things in the morning and then in the afternoon and then in the evening, do you think it would look completely different from those, those three tests or should it be pretty much sort of the same for that day? Again, a very important question, and uh, I would say that some are uh, very transient, like uh, if you measure your uh, random glucose, and uh, it can change uh, uh, in uh, a few minutes if you ate something or uh, in case that you haven't ate anything. And that's why we're using a fasting glucose in order to give you a better uh, uh, benchmark. So we are asking all of our users to uh, do the test after overnight fast. Uh, we also recommend you to test uh, more or less at the same time of the day because some of the markers are changing uh, during the day. Uh, I can say that uh, hormones such as uh, cortisol, which is the stress hormone, or uh, testosterone, which is the male hormone, uh, they are changing over the, uh, the course of the day, so they can increase or decrease uh, uh, during the time based on when you woke up. Uh, some are very, very stable. A good example is a hemoglobin A1C, which is a basically measure of a, a, the amount of glucose that you have in your blood in the last 90 days. So it doesn't matter if you will test it in the morning, in the afternoon, or in the evening, or today, or yesterday. It should be very similar. So there are, a, a, as I said before, some markers are changing a, a very often. Some are changing much less often. Okay. And um, so you touched on a few things. I'd love to go deep into some of the actual things that you mentioned that you guys test. So for listeners, I did do their ultimate plan. Um, super awesome. I learned a lot from it. Um, so we can kind of go through some of the things that it tests and what you can learn from it. And then what I love is they do at Inside Tracker, it groups it by different categories. So rather than just these results with all of these, you know, seemingly random um, biomarkers, you get, you can group it by like metabolism and weight, by electrolytes, by inflammation. So you can really see like what category everything falls into. And then there are actually suggestions and recommendations how to optimize it. So it's a very, very cool service. I love it. Um, so you're talking about glucose. Okay. There's a question that's been haunting me actually about this for quite a while. So I'm thrilled to be able to ask you. So people will often measure blood glucose and then also the, the A1C, the HbA1C, like you're mentioning. I've heard that people may have a low HbA1C, which indicates that they, you know, don't have a, a long-term negative effect of, um, you know, high blood sugar. But then somebody was saying that actually that could be misleading because maybe your red blood cells are turning over faster due to high blood sugar. And that's why you have a lower level. Have you, have you heard that before? Yeah, 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 definitely. Because uh, uh, as I mentioned before, the A1C give you more or less the a view of your uh, glucose in the last 90 days because your uh, uh, on, on, in an average person, the uh, uh, red blood cells are uh, uh, renew every 90 days. So basically, red blood cells are not as uh, other blood cells, such as the white blood cells that can live much longer. They actually don't have even nucleus, and they uh, live for 90 days and then uh, die and uh, replaced. Um, it could be that uh, uh, some of us have a, a, a faster turnover of uh, red blood cells, 
again, it's not something that I, uh, I'm aware of or I looked into, so I cannot say if it's a, a, a really happened in, in, in nature, but it's definitely something that can happen, that uh, your A1C can be lower because uh, actually your, your uh, average uh, age of your red blood cells is much younger than uh, 90 days. Okay. It could happen. Yeah, because it's just one of those things that I heard like one time and it stuck with me forever because prior to then I was like, okay, if you have low HbA1c, you're good. But then I was reading that you might actually have, you know, glycated red blood cells and they're turning over faster. And then that's why you have a low HbA1c. And I was like, great. So there's always... <laughs> There's always some caveat, but um, in general, a low HbA1c is likely a good thing, I'm guessing. Yes, and that's why also we are not looking at A1c alone. We are looking at it together with fasting glucose. So as you said before, everything that we are doing, we're trying to uh, combine them into a group. So that's what we call the sugar group that have A1c and glucose. Uh, in the case of iron, we have uh, almost 10 different markers related to iron. You mentioned some of them, such as the red blood cells. We have hemoglobin there, we have ferritin there, and other. And all of that allow us to get a good picture of what's happening for you in the iron metabolism related. We are doing the same for inflammation. We have another group of maybe 10 markers that are allowing us to understand better what's happening with your inflammation. So um, I think that what you raise is a very good point and that's why it's better not to look at one marker alone but look at all the group of the marker and based on that make a, a interpretation and decision. That's awesome and I think that is something that I mean I don't want to make a blanket statement about you know doctors across the board but I think it oftentimes you know people do go see doctors and whatever they're looking at you know the doctors won't take into account the whole picture and I think that's so important um, because if you're just looking at you know one factor, it just doesn't doesn't necessarily tell paint a uh, paint an accurate picture of what might be going on. So um, I love I love that that whole picture perspective. Um, I love so like cholesterol and and fats in the blood and things like that because I know I know that's a very hot and heated and debated topic, at least as far as how it relates to diet. What are your thoughts on all the studying that you've done as far as longevity goes and everything as far as HDL, LDL, you know, cholesterol markers, triglycerides? What do you see in the blood tests as far as how that relates to health and longevity? And also, have you seen any general correlations between diet and and these markers? Because there's, I mean, there's so many debates about, you know, fat in the diet and how it affects these things. Yeah, so um, like everything in biology, it's uh, more complex than uh, what it looks like. Um, so there is uh, uh, the, the genetic effect. So uh, some of us are uh, predisposed to high cholesterol. Actually, I'm a good example of that. I'm a predisposition of high glucose. Uh, but the majority of us don't have that. What would you consider to be high blood glucose? Not just the reference range, but... Like your your personal perspective. Okay, okay. So uh, what we do at Insta Tracker, and I think that we haven't discussed it yet, is the what we call the we have the normal range and we have the optimal range, and uh, so you can be normal but not optimal. For example, for glucose, we calculate the uh, optimal range for each person based on uh, his or her age and gender. 
And what we, we are doing it based on uh, papers that show that uh, uh, basically there is a, a correlation between the level of your glucose when you are relatively young and your uh, longevity. And that was done uh, based on a Framingham Heart uh, Study. Basically, Framingham is a small town next to Boston uh, that uh, uh, the NIH decided to uh, take the older population of that town and start measuring a lot of markers and following this population for uh, decades. And one of the study look at the correlation between the level of glucose in a, a young age and uh, basically mortality. What they found that there is a strong correlation between uh, lower level relatively of glucose and the, uh, and the longevity of those persons. So based on that, we came with a, a range for each person based on his age and his uh, gender. So that's the uh, optimal range. Now for the normal range, uh, for glucose, you have uh, uh, two different uh, levels. You have the 100 to 125, which considered to be pre-diabetic. And then you have uh, above 125, which is con considered to be diabetic. So those are the uh, uh, the different range. So 100 to 125, it's pretty easy to know. It's a fit for everyone. The optimal range that we have, it's a bit different for each person based on his age and, and gender. Hopefully it wasn't uh, too complex. Hi, friends. Do you want to come hang out with me and Dave Asprey and so many other guests I've had on the show? You simply must come to the 10th Annual Biohacking Conference. May 30th through June 1st in Dallas, Texas. And of course, I have a massive discount code for you guys. I went last year to the one in Orlando, and it was one of the most fun times of my entire life. I met and got to hang out with so many guests that I've had on the show. I met so many of you guys. And of course, there's lots of Danger Coffee and Dave Asprey approved meals and Dry Farm Wines. And that's just the social aspect. The conference itself is mind-blowing. They have this incredible expo where they have all the biohacking supplements, all the biohacking things. You can learn about them, try samples, meet the creators and founders. If you haven't tried a lot of biohacking things, it's a great chance to actually try them out in person. Things like brain tap, infrared sauna, hyperbaric oxygen chambers, and so much more. There are so many incredible speakers as well. You can hear talks from people I've had on the show like Paul Saladino, Dr. Daniel Amen, Dr. Sarah Gottfried, Dr. Mercola, Dr. Annika Becca, and that is just a few of them. I seriously had the time of my life last year, and I would love to hang out with you guys. And you can get 35% off tickets. Just go to melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference and use the coupon code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. That's melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference with the code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. This code can be used for general admission or for VIP access. Seating is limited. They do sell out. They sold out last year. So get your ticket now. And if you come, definitely let me know because I want to meet you. So hopefully see you guys in Dallas. MelanieAvalon.com slash biohacking conference with coupon code BCMelanie. Get your tickets now. I'll see you guys there. Friends, you guys know I love wine. Do you love wine? I've done a lot of research on wine and I truly believe there are a myriad of health benefits the longest-lived populations drink wine, the polyphenols have a ton of potential health benefits, activating anti-aging sirtuins, potentially supporting our immunity, maybe even encouraging weight loss. Yep, it's actually not alcohol that makes people gain weight, it's what they eat 
when they drink. But if you want all of the benefits of wine, the type of wine you're drinking is key. Conventional wine in the US is often full of toxins. We're talking things like pesticides, mold, and additives. Dyes, colorizers, artificial flavors. Have you even seen some wine that says vegan? That's because conventional wine isn't even necessarily vegan because of the additives. I am obsessed with a company called Dry Farm Wines. They're not a wine producer, but rather a wine investigator. They go all throughout Europe and they find the wineries practicing organic practices, and then they test those wines to make sure the wines are, wait for it, low alcohol, low sugar, free of toxins, free of mold, and truly supportive of your health. I'm obsessed with Dry Farm Wines. One of the most fun things for me as a wine lover is you get mixed boxes of wine and it introduces you to varietals from all over the world. The wines taste amazing and you can say goodbye to hangovers. If you think you can't drink wine, you've got to try Dry Farm Wines. I am obsessed. You can get a bottle for a penny. Yes, a penny. Just go to dryfarmwines.com slash Melanie Avalon and use the coupon code Melanie Avalon to claim your penny bottle. That's dryfarmwines.com slash Melanie Avalon. All right, now back to the show. No, not at all. And um, just going off of that really quickly, with Inside Tracker, are you gathering data on like people's diet and these blood markers to you know find correlations between things? Definitely, we are looking at. Uh, we are asking you what uh, food you eat, what supplement you take, what exercise do you do. Uh, what lifestyle uh, uh, activity do you do? And all of that helping us to give you the best recommendation, but also allowing us uh, later on to get some correlation. And what we are building right now is what I call predictive analytics. So as you know, you and me love to do blood tests. We are uh, excited about that. We are biohacker, but not everyone likes to do that. Um, so, uh, the idea of predictive analytics is basically using a machine learning and looking at a, a big population that we already have. And based on that, try to find what defined a population that have in this example, high glucose. So we, based on all the questions that we're asking, we can find that, uh, let's say that, uh, gender is important for a, a, a level of glucose and BMI is important for a, a glucose. And, uh, uh, let's say that uh, uh, the amount of fiber that you consume is important for uh, glucose. Then we can ask uh, someone that we don't know if they have high glucose or not, a few questions. And based on that, we can come and tell him, hey, based on the question that you answered, there is a 70% uh, chance that you have high glucose. We are not sure, but there is a 70% chance that you have it. You have now two options. You can go left and uh, get tested, and then you will confirm whether you have high glucose or not. Or option two, you will take the 70% uh, chance and uh, based on that intervene, and uh, hopefully that will decrease the glucose that might be high or might not be high. So that's something that we call predictive analytics that uh, we are planning to uh, in integrate into our product soon. And that will allow basically everyone that uh, want to use the value of uh, Insta Tracker without the pain of, uh, uh, of the, uh, uh, of the vein prick. Uh, but again, the value will be a bit lower because we are not sure. It's just a, a machine learning tool. Speaking more to that, have you seen trends with blood glucose, with specifically lower carb or higher carb diets? Um, just because I know a lot of people, especially with like ketogenic diets, I mean, a lot of people experience obviously lower blood sugar levels when they are ketogenic, but a lot of people report having higher blood sugar levels 
um, on lower carb diets, you know, due to gluconeogenesis and cortisol. Have you seen any trends there? Yeah, so I think that it's a, it's a bit uh, uh, more complex than that. Generally, we see that a, a population that uh, on a, a keto diet have a, a lower glucose. Um, but uh, some people are, uh, uh, are uh, not behaving like that. I can give you another anecdote. Uh, there was a, a publication at New York Times, I don't know, a year or two ago, about... Uh, Uh, long distance runners that have higher glucose and we tested it in in our uh, database and actually we have a lot of uh, marathon runner and a lot of runners and we haven't seen that um, so I think that uh, uh, I really believe in personalization so it's a uh, <laughs> uh, you can look at population and come and say on average this population have higher that or lower that But at the end of the day, what is important is what's happening in your body and uh, for you. And for that, uh, you need either to, uh, to test or, uh, uh, or to uh, live in, the, uh, in uh, speculation. Because it's, uh, we, we are so complex machine that include the genetics and uh, uh, the physiology and the environment and the blood. And it's very hard to come and say everyone that on keto have low glucose or everyone on a high carb diet have a higher glucose. It's very hard to do that. And I, okay. I'd love to look a little bit more at some of these other markers that you test as well, just because I'm so, so fascinated by all of it. So something like, um, calcium, for example, or vitamin B12, even though these, you guys, you place these in different categories or folate even, how, accurate of a picture do you think measuring um, micronutrients like that are when it comes to indicating the overall micronutrient status of the body? Like with calcium, for example, you know, somebody might appear to have normal blood calcium levels, but really they're, you know, pulling calcium from their bones. So they might have, you know, heading towards osteoporosis or something like that, or with like B12 depending on, you know, methylation or, you know, how they're processing B vitamins, it might not actually indicate that, you know, the, the bioactive amount of um, micronutrients or B vitamins in their body, like B12. So what are your thoughts on micronutrients and what they do tell about the overall, the overall picture of the body in general? Is that a pretty good gauge or how often do you think it might be a little bit mistelling? Yeah, uh, and so I think that it's a very good question. Some of them are giving a very good picture, such as uh, uh, B12 and, uh, and D. Some of them are uh, not giving a very good question, and you mentioned uh, before calcium. And uh, calcium is uh, uh, highly regulated in the blood, and it's uh, very uh, hard to see a change because Uh, as you said before, some of it uh, go to the bones and the bones can, uh, uh, the calcium from the bone can go out or in, into the bloodstream in, also in, in order to maintain the level in the bloodstream, but you might have a very low level in, uh, in your uh, bones. Another uh, good example is magnesium. And that's why uh, we are testing both uh, RBC magnesium, basically red blood cells magnesium and the blood magnesium. Because the blood magnesium is again very regulated, while the red blood cells magnesium is uh, uh, much less regulated, and you can see easily or easier whether you have a deficiency in a magnesium in your body based on the red blood cells magnesium. Oh wow, that is fascinating. I don't think I don't know that I've ever had my red blood cell magnesium tested before. 
And I've had a lot of testing. I think that I think that if you've done it with us, you should have been. I did with you. Um, I mean, before before you guys. Ah, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yes. 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 It's it's definitely not something that is uh, routinely tested. Also, a lot of other markers are not routinely tested. Uh, by physician, I can give you an example. Even uh, markers such as uh, vitamin D or vitamin B12 are not routinely tested. Not to uh, not to mention markers such as cortisol, which is the stress hormone. Also, ferritin, which is a very important marker for uh, iron metabolism, uh, it's not routinely tested. And uh, uh, especially in young women, and especially in young women that are athletic active, they have a high percentage of them have a, a iron deficiency. And testing uh, ferritin is very important. And unfortunately, uh, not a lot of our physicians are testing for that. So speaking to the iron, um, because I do know, you know a lot of women struggle with iron regulation issues. I do personally. Um, I've been struggling with anemia issues despite having a very iron-heavy diet. So trying to get to the root of that. Um, so when you are looking at blood at markers for for iron regulation. So, you know, there's the typical just iron. Like when I tested mine recently with Inside Tracker, it was pretty high because I've been treating treating my anemia. But you also test, for example, hemoglobin, which would be, I'm guessing, a, a slightly longer in longer term indicator of iron, since it's the the storage form, right? Of iron or is ferritin? Can you explain actually the difference between like ferritin and hemoglobin? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. No, it's it's very confusing, and uh, <laughs> I, I I completely understand what you're saying. It's it's not it's 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 not it's not easy to to understand, and it's very important, especially as you said, to young women that are uh, especially athletic active, and actually also uh, athletic active males, because when you exercise, especially when you are running, you have a micro bleeding from your gut and you are losing a small amount of blood every time that you are running whoa wait you, you just blew my mind really yes <laughs> from running yes because uh, uh, when every time that you hit the pavement uh, you get some shock and uh, some of the it's make again a, a very small micro bleeding that uh, uh, making you to lose blood and not to mention that the uh, young women have uh, lose blood every month so um, because of all of that, uh, uh, up to 30% of uh, young women have a, a low level of uh, uh, iron. And that's, uh, it's very bad because iron is not only important for uh, exercise, it's also very important for uh, performance uh, uh, at work because uh, uh, as you mentioned before, hemoglobin is the uh, molecule that uh, connects uh, the oxygen to the red blood cells and carry it from the lungs to the muscle and to the brain. So without, a, if you have lower amount of hemoglobin, that's mean that you have less oxygen that come to your muscle and that's mean that you compromise your athletic performance, but also less uh, uh, oxygen that coming to your brain so you can compromise your performance uh, at work. And uh, most of uh, this population doesn't know that they have low amount of iron. So it's, uh, it's really bad. Um, now let's go into uh, what happened with iron. So as you said, the, the, there is the free iron. That's basically the iron that you absorb when you uh, eat uh, iron-rich food or when you uh, supplement with iron. Um, this iron go into the body. And it's bound to a protein called ferritin. 
And ferritin basically bind the iron, and basically it's a sort of a, a storage of iron that uh, uh, ready to be loaded into uh, the red blood cells in the form of hemoglobin. So it's allowed the, uh, the body to build the hemoglobin, which is uh, the molecule that uh, located on the red blood cells and basically uh, uh, carry the oxygen from the uh, lungs to the, uh, to the muscle. So I, I just mentioned, mentioned three out or four out of uh, around 10 uh, blood biomarkers that we're looking at, and we develop a, 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 an algorithm that based on the level of all of those markers, we are coming and telling you whether you have low iron or good iron, and then we are telling you if you have low iron, what should you do in order to increase it? What kind of supplement, what kind of food, and uh, uh, what kind of lifestyle, and so on. Okay, some more some more iron questions. So I think this is the first time that this is starting to make more sense to me. So so the iron, it's like the free iron to the ferritin to the hemoglobin is the the order that it that it goes in. It seems correct. Yes, yes. So is that why? Because um, I've been get, I actually had to get iron um, infusions. I got very very anemic. Is that why they said it takes a while for your hemoglobin to build up again because the iron has to go through that? That chain? That's one reason. The other reason is what we discussed before about the hemoglobin A1C. Uh, the red blood cells are building uh, uh, every 90 days. So even if you have a high iron today, it might take up to 90 days until all of the uh, red blood cells will have the hemoglobin with uh, 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 enough hemoglobin because uh, you, can, uh, you add the hemoglobin only when you produce the red blood cells. Oh, okay. That makes so much sense. Okay. And then um, iron binding capacity is my like layman's interpretation. <laughs> you can, I'm probably completely off with this, but it, it seemed that it was the marker that is the, like the blood cells asking for iron. Is that kind of sort of what it is? Like, like, because I know when people are anemic, so oftentimes it'll go high. Yeah, um, yeah, so a uh, uh, total iron uh, binding capacity, we call it uh, uh, TIBC, it's basically measure the maximum amount of iron your uh, uh, blood can carry. Uh, and, uh, and, and basically it's, uh, it's another marker that uh, allow you to uh, understand the, uh, uh, the, what happened, what happening with your iron in the body. It's, it's again, it's a, it's a bit a complex, a, a bit more complex marker than, uh, let's say ferritin or hemoglobin or iron or red blood cells. Um, but it's also something that we are using in order to give you a better understanding of your iron. Okay. So like, cause like I've been tracking my, tracking my iron pretty, like a lot recently. And I've noticed ever since, cause everything was very low, like severely low. And ever since building it back up again, my iron is dropping now, but my iron binding capacity is going up. So I'm just trying to figure out what's going yeah. on there. Um, and of course, working with a, a doctor on it, but it's just really nice to be able to, you know, take, and I think something that, you know, users of your, of Inside Tracker will find so helpful is the ability to look at these markers themselves and then get the recommendations and, you know, interpretations as far as you can give them without, you know, diagnosing disease or anything like that. It's just, it's very, very helpful and very freeing. And it's coming from a trusted source, which... I think is so important. So you get the interpretation um, from a third-party source that's not not the doctor system. So I think it adds 
I think can add a lot of clarity for a lot of people. One other category you do test is inflammation markers. And um, do those vary a lot? With I'm, I'm guessing they do since you chose to include them. The reason I'm asking if they vary a lot is because mine are always, <laughs> always normal. They're like the one category that have always been normal. So I'm like, do they get out of range? Um, but so they do. What type of issues lead to them being um, out of range? So, so the first one is uh, being sick. And I can give you an example. I got tested a week ago. And, and I, I caught a cold at that time, but I said, hey, okay, okay, let's uh, test. It will be cool to see what uh, uh, what happening in my body, what what my uh, biomarker is saying about my uh, uh, sickness. Uh, and indeed, a marker called HSCRP, which is high sensitivity C-reactive co- uh, protein, which should be a, a pretty low, it should be below one unit, jumped to six units, uh, and that was uh, literally uh, less than 10 days ago. Uh, so I tested uh, uh, for that marker uh, in the last uh, maybe uh, six or seven years, and it's never have been higher than uh, 1.2, and suddenly jumped to six. Okay, so I could see that uh, indeed I'm sick. Uh, I, I think about it if you want to go to your, if you are a student to your uh, uh, school, or if you are uh, someone that work in an office to your uh, manager and say, hey, I'm sick because my HSLP is high. So nobody, it's unbiased. You cannot, nobody can tell you that uh, it's, uh, so, so that's one thing. I, I could also could see that my uh, white blood cells uh, uh, was higher than uh, ever before. And then you have what we are looking at, uh, the other are uh, a particle of uh, uh, the red blood cells. So some of them, like lymphocytes, are more like markers that showing whether you have a, a virus infection. Uh, some other are uh, more uh, whether you have a, a, a other kind of infection. Now, the reason that, uh, other reason that it can go up uh, is a, a overexercise. So a lot of the time we see that people that exercise a lot have a higher level of those markers. Sometimes in stress, you can have a high level of a, a, a inflammation. And uh, it's very interesting to see that uh, in the past, the, 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 there is a, a questionnaire that run every year for a, 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 in the U.S. population and in the last 20 years or so, it was always, uh, weight loss was the uh, most important, uh, uh, let's say, pain point of the U.S. population. In the last few years, it's a, a, it's a chance significantly to stress. So everyone is uh, trying to fight stress. And I think that it's because uh, 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 the current society that we are hooked to our iPhone and iPad and uh, iBook and uh, all of that, and we are uh, online all the time, and we are seeing that our friend uh, having a cooler life than us, and it's making us stressful. Um, and so stress also increased those markers, and uh, uh, that's why we are looking at it, and it's so important because there are so many things that can increase inflammation, and it's uh, 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 very important to uh, to look at it. Okay, I do have one more follow-up question about this that I've actually been dying to ask somebody. So this is an exciting moment for me. Um, With with CRP specifically, because I know... Okay, so I have personally... Ever since a lot... Like I said, I mentioned at the beginning that I tested really high for heavy metals. Um, Ever since that and like iron issues and just some factors and a lot of stress, I've been feeling intuitively... (laughs) very quote, and this is so vague, but very quote inflamed. Um, 
And I would always say, I just feel like very inflamed, like my body is reacting to everything. I know a lot of people experience, um, especially like autoimmune conditions or even people will say like limbic system imbalances where they just feel like they're reacting to everything. Um, so then I was always shocked because whenever I test my CRP, which is, you know, the, the quote official marker of inflammation, it's always been very low (laughs) and I'm like, Oh, okay. Um, so CRP, does it relate more to inflammation? Like you said, in regards to like viruses and actual infections or what you mentioned stress as well, I guess I'm just, I'm, I'm very, I'm very interested by the connection of CRP to inflammation and what affects it just because intuitively I felt off and like not and not not uninflamed, but my CRP is always low. That's kind of a, a, a convoluted question, but I guess how how accurate of a marker is CRP for? So, so, so CRP is a very good marker of uh, general inflammation. There are some other markers. Up to thirty percent of uh, young women have a, a low level of iron, interleukin six, and other. Uh, but uh, what is a, a Nice about CRP, and the reason that we chose to look at HSCRP is because it's not changing, not going up and down every second or every minute, but it uh, can stay up up to a few days. It's a marker that it's much easier to measure when you are not testing your blood every second or every hour or every minute. Um, so, so that's the the reason why we chose HSCRP. It's also a good marker for, a, 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 let's say, gut health. And I know that, again, that's another buzzword that a lot of people like to talk about, that they, they have a problem with digestion and all of that. Um, so uh, I can give you an example. People that have a Crohn's disease usually have a very high HSCRP level. Um, and uh, so, so I think that it's a very good uh, a marker for general inflammation. That is so fascinating. This just really makes me rethink things because it's so interesting about, you know, our perceptions of what we are and then, you know, testing these actual biomarkers and what they say and what that might indicate, which actually brings me to a a major question I wanted to ask you. This is more philosophical in in nature, but um, what are your thoughts on people knowing their blood test results and then how they react to them. So I, you know, for example, say somebody feels, you know, feels great, feels happy about everything. And then they realize a biomarker is off and they they fix it on that. So then they're like worried about it compared to, um, you know, somebody who, like for example, with me, I was worried about my CRP, but it's actually always been low. Um, what What do you think? Feel about I, this might come in more into play with like genetic testing, which we can get to next. But um, what are your thoughts on like the placebo effect and even the nocebo effect, and how mindset plays into this as far as what we know about what our biomarkers are showing? Yeah, so I think that uh, knowledge is a power. And uh, uh, you can uh, be an ignorant and uh, come and say, hey, I don't want to know. And then uh, you will catch the problem when it's big. It's much better to catch the problem, which is uh, pretty small and change a bit your uh, behavior or your nutrition or your supplementation. 
uh, or uh, exercise regime and then you are good and uh, to come say hey let's wait and then uh, uh, go to the physician and then he will need to have a, a, a very strong intervention. So I'm a, a big fan of uh, let's know the, the issue when it's small and uh, adjust and uh, make it better. It's exactly as uh, the example that I gave about the car. So you can either uh, t- uh, uh, take care of the car every 5,000 miles or get uh, drive it, drive it, drive it, and then be stuck on the highway in the middle of a snowstorm. So it's your decision. You can do whatever you want, but I think that it's uh, much, much better to react uh, upon a, a, a small problem, especially with our body, which is the most important machine that we have. And we, it's not like a, a, a being in a, a computer game that you have a few life. You have only one life. Uh, so let's uh, get the most of it and uh, live it longer and uh, better. Awesome. I like that perspective a lot. So also like the liver testing, for example, um, ALT, AST. I know people, I think that's one of the, one of the few tests that people actually are pretty familiar with, um, as far as the liver enzymes go. Historically, my liver enzymes are always usually on the higher side. Um, the past year they've actually been in range, which has made me happy. Um, do some people though have liver enzymes that are like, you know, five, (laughs) like, like the, like the really low side of the, um, of the range. I've just never experienced that. So I'm just wondering if that's like actually a possibility. Yeah, definitely. So the liver enzyme, it's basically a marker of a liver health because those enzymes are located in the liver. And when the liver has some issues, some of the cells are uh, basically destroyed and the, uh, the enzyme may leak into the bloodstream. And there are a lot of reasons that can make that. Some of them are a, uh, uh, issue of uh, overweight. So some people that are overweight have this issue. Some people that are uh, drinking too much alcohol have this issue. Some people that are consuming too many, too much drugs and drugs, I'm not saying it, it, talking about the drug that you buy from the drug dealer. It can be also a drug that uh, 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 you use as a painkiller that can basically make the liver work, uh, working too hard and basically uh, uh, challenge the liver. So there are a lot of uh, 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 different reasons that the uh, liver enzyme can be high. And that's one of the reasons why we're looking at four of them. I can give you an example. Uh, when you uh, have, a, a, a let's say, a, a high level of muscle damage due to overexercise, you can see that two of the liver enzyme, ALT and AST, are going up, but the GGT, which is another one, is not. So then it's easier for us to say, hey, it's uh, most likely you have an issue with overexercise. And usually we see in, uh, on top of that another marker that's called creatine kinase, which is a, a real marker of muscle damage because it's localized in the muscle. And then when the muscle uh, erupt when you overexercise, it's going out to the bloodstream. In other cases, you see all of them going together and then you say, hey, it's a, a real liver damage that... Uh, and then you need to try to understand, am I drinking too much alcohol? Am I uh, taking too much drug? Am I uh, 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 eating too much fat? Fat also can make that because uh, some of it, uh, as you know, uh, uh, the metabolism of fat happening in the in the liver. Um, so there, there are so many reasons and the liver is so important that uh, we decided to dedicate uh, four markers for, for the liver. Okay, and now I'm really fascinated by all this. So, so GGT is it? It's just another 
another enzyme similar to AST and ALT? Exactly. Why is it not affected? Why is it not affected by a, a exercise-related yeah. damage? Um, our assumption is that uh, ALT and AST are not only an enzyme that localize in the liver, but they are also localized in the muscle. So that's why when you have a muscle damage, you see them going up. Oh. Um, but uh, uh, that's just an assumption. But we definitely can see it, and uh, uh, we also seen some uh, other uh, peer-reviewed scientific publications that showing that. So, in theory, could a person have actually a, a good functioning liver, but the ALT and AST are just mostly raised from over-exercise? Is that a possibility, or is there always going to be some liver implications? I guess that's why you need the bigger picture, but... Yeah, yeah, no, I think that it's a good point. But what is nice about muscle damage, it's usually transient. So uh, if you have a, a high muscle damage, you, uh, you can uh, uh, basically uh, pause training for a, a week or two and then test again, and then those uh, markers should go down. Uh, so if that's due to a muscle damage, it's pretty easy to uh, to challenge it and see whether it is or not. Okay, and then what does the albumin um, indicate about the liver? Albumin is uh, actually the most abundant uh, uh, protein in uh, in the bloodstream, and it's also a, a liver-related uh, uh, protein. What is interesting also about albumin, uh, I don't want to go too nerdy, but uh, albumin is also a carrier of testosterone. So uh, testosterone is uh, uh, carried by a, a protein called SHBG, or sex hormone binding globulin, uh, which have a high affinity for testosterone. Uh, but also albumin is a, another carrier of a, a, a testosterone, but which much lower affinity to it. Okay, yeah, so now I'm looking at that. So you, because you, you list the, the testosterone and the sex hormone binding globulin under the strength and endurance category. So this is so, so fascinating listeners. You're going to have to get this service. <laughs> so much to learn. Um, like I'm looking at my strength and endurance category. And for example, my testosterone and my sex hormone binding globulin were optimized, but my cortisol was high and my creatine kinase um, was in reference per the range, but noted as not optimized by the interpretation yeah, yeah, and uh, if we want to uh, uh, dive a bit deeper to that, so uh, testosterone is an hormone that is also important for women, and it's actually a, a called anabolic uh, hormone. Basically, it's building muscle. So when testosterone is in the right level, it's allow you to build muscle. While co- uh, cortisol, which is the stress hormone, it's actually breaking muscle. And, and I, I really like to give the analogy of uh, 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 us in, uh, I don't know, 50,000 years ago, uh, running in the woods and a bear running after us. Uh, at that time, t- uh, the cortisol is going high, and then that's allow us to climb on the tree and run away from the bear. But what is it is doing, it's, uh, uh, because of that, it's, uh, uh, in order to allow us to do that, it's uh, stopping everything and allowing uh, the body to start breaking a, a protein in order to use it for uh, energy. And that's why it's a catabolic uh, um, enzyme, uh, not enzyme, hormone that allows us to break uh, muscle or break protein. 
So that's why uh, when you have a, a high cortisol, uh, it's very hard for you to build muscle. That's very interesting. So what might, what might be indicated, like for me, when I have a high cortisol above optimize, like above the optimal range of creatine kinase, but then normal testosterone and sex hormone binding globulin? So uh, it could be that uh, uh, at first, uh, because your creatine kinase is high, and again, I, I haven't looked at your account, so I, I cannot say, but if we, uh, we'll, I will ask you about the liver enzymes. So do you have AST and uh, ALT high or not? Um, I was so bummed. They were higher than they've been like like even a week prior, but they were both, um, the ALT was in the reference range, but it was, um, you know, it was yellow in Inside Tracker. So, um, about, you know, not, not optimal. And then the AST... The AST was slightly out of range, and it was um, red in Inside Tracker. And you had a lot of uh, uh, athletic activity in the recent week. Um, no, I don't do a concentrated. I just do like functional movements. So, so you know, like lifting. Like I don't go to a gym and lift weights or anything. I just move around a lot and lift things during the day. But I don't do gym weights. Yeah. So, so yeah, and another thing that can uh, significantly increase uh, uh, cortisol is the quality of uh, uh, rest or sleep. So it could be that uh, you can improve uh, uh, the cortisol based on uh, uh, better uh, resting or better sleep. Um, and uh, actually, we are now in the process of adding uh, activity tracker or physiological marker, and we are looking at uh, a REM sleep and deep sleep and uh, awake time and uh, all of that hel- uh, help us to understand even better the user. So we're not only looking at blood and DNA, but also having uh, some physiological marker and giving uh, the user a recommendation, what should he do based on the data of the physiological marker in order to improve his, uh, uh, his sleep or improve uh, uh, his resting heart rate, which is also very important. Um, so, um, Hopefully, very soon you will have uh, this service as well. Do you ever see differences in the different labs? Because I know you guys work with Quest Diagnostics, for example. Um, just because, like, I've done so much blood tests this year because of my anemia, um, so I've seen like very, very definitive trends and everything. And something seemed, but that was always using LabCorp for every single one. And then this was using Quest. Does that ever play a factor in like the major lab that you're using or should it not at all? Yes, it is. Uh, I think that uh, within a lab, so let's say inside Quest or inside LabCorp, they should be pretty accurate. Even so that each of them have like, uh, I would say 10 to 20 different uh, a central lab that they are using because they are running uh, hundreds of thousands of tests a day. Um, the difference shouldn't be more than 10% between uh, lab X and lab Y. Uh, but uh, if you compare Quest to LabCorp, those uh, changes might be even bigger. Uh, one reason for that is that they, are, they might use a different machine so uh, or a different technology. Um, I can give you an example, vitamin D and, vit- and uh, uh, cholesterol, and, sorry, testosterone can be measured by ELISA, which is more like immunoassay, or they can measure by mass spectrometry. And uh, uh, those two different kinds of measurement can uh, uh, change significantly the result. 
Uh, some uh, other uh, reason is like a, a different machine. One of them is from brand A and one of them is from brand B. Uh, so I always recommend user, if you started with one lab, try to continue to use that lab because uh, they there are some difference. Again, it shouldn't be like a 50% difference, but definitely it can be 10 to 20% difference between uh, one lab to each other, even if you go tested at the same day. Hi, friends. I am so excited to tell you about something that I am obsessed with that can revolutionize your health, help with stress levels, support longevity, and really help you when you go out and are having a bit of wine or drinks or all the things. And I'm going to tell you how to get $100 off. So I've been talking about the role of NAD in our health for so long. NAD stands for nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. It is a coenzyme that is involved in so many processes in our body, including energy production and DNA repair. And it is depleted by things like stress, aging, lack of sleep, alcohol, and of course, too much partying. In fact, a lot of researchers believe that declining NAD levels is one of the key factors in aging. That's why I have been really interested in boosting and supporting NAD levels. And I have tried all the things. You can take precursors to NAD called NR and NMN. I still take NMN. However, I am much more alert by directly giving your body NAD. And historically, the most common way to do that that is accessible to people was through NAD IVs and NAD shots. I actually never did an NAD IV for a few reasons. One, they are extraordinarily expensive. Two, I've been doing the shots, which I liked because they were easy to do. That said, they always made me feel a little bit unwell right afterwards. And I've heard that the IV makes a lot of people feel unwell. So if the shots were making me feel unwell and that was going into the muscle first as like a barrier, I can't even imagine what putting it straight into my bloodstream would have done. Plus with the IVs, you have to sit there for potentially hours. So basically IVs were a no-go for me. So like I said, I was doing the shots, but I was like, I wish there was an easier way to do this. Then a company called Ion Layer reached out to me. Oh my goodness, friends. I am so obsessed. So they make transdermal NAD patches and they have studies showing that these patches actually boost your NAD levels. And what's so amazing is you put on a patch. It's super easy to put on. I have a video on my Instagram about how you do it. You basically get this patch thing with like a negative side and a positive side. You put saline on one side, you mix up the NAD with some sterile water and the NAD that they give you on the other side. Then you stick it to your arm or wherever you want to put it. You put a super cool black patch over it, kind of like how you put the patches over CGMs. And then what's amazing is there are no side effects. You don't feel unwell from it and it lasts for 14 hours and it's so easy. You can do it at home and then you can really decide when you want to do it. So with the shots, I was doing them once a week and I was trying to do them before going out with this patch. Now I put on the patch before going out and it makes me feel so good. It really helps the next day from any alcohol recovery that you may need. And they look pretty awesome with my outfits. Not going to lie. I am obsessed with these patches. I just want everybody to know about them and they are so much more affordable than the shots or the IVs. If you want to boost your NAD levels, support anti-aging, help with your stress, help with lack of sleep, and or optimize your partying. You need these patches, friends. And I'm so excited because working with the company has been amazing and they are giving you guys $100 off, which is incredible. So to get that discount, just go 
to melanieavalon.com slash ion layer. That's I O N L A Y E R and use the coupon code Melanie Avalon to get $100 off your first order. I cannot recommend these enough. I'm going to use them for the unforeseeable future, probably for the rest of my life. It's literally just become part of my arsenal now. Like when I'm getting ready to go out, usually once a week, put on my NAD patch. And even if I don't go out that week, I still like to do one once weekly. Oh, P.S. They're also amazing for traveling. You guys know I'm not a big traveler. I've been doing more traveling recently and I wear these on the plane there and back. Game changer. Although it's really fun at TSA, especially because I already opt out and don't go through the scanner thing. So they already are suspicious. And then they're like, what's that on your arm? And I'm like, it's NAD. And then they're like, what's that? And then I'm like, it's a coenzyme in your body that's involved in a lot of metabolic processes and energy production and DNA repair. And then they just look at me really weird, but it's fine. It's totally fine. So again, that's melanieavalon.com slash ion layer to get $100 off your ion layer kit. It comes with six patches, totally the way to go for boosting NAD levels. And I cannot recommend it enough. melanieavalon.com slash ion layer with the coupon code melanieavalon for $100 off. Hi friends. One of the most valuable things that I do every single night of my life is my infrared sauna session. The brand that I use is Sunlighten. I did a lot of research on infrared saunas before deciding on them. Their saunas are so high quality. They're low EMF. And what I really love is they have a solo unit. That's what I have. And it's really great if you live in a small apartment, might be moving. It's just really an amazing investment. And they have incredible deals and offers on it right now. You can actually get up to $200 off with the code Melanie Avalon. Or if you're talking to a rep, just tell them that I sent you. And like I said, that will be up to $200 off. And that will also get you $99 shipping. Normally the shipping is like $600. So that's a really, really big deal. And if you do purchase a sauna, forward your proof of purchase to podcast at melanieavalon.com. And I will also send you a signed copy of my book, What, When, Why. If you'd like to learn more about the science of sauna, two resources. I interviewed the founder of Sunlighten, Connie Zach. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And then I also recently did an epic blog post all about the science of sauna. We'll also put that in the show notes. All right, now back to the show. Hi friends. Okay. So I'm a little bit embarrassed because I've been talking for so long about red light and near infrared therapy, which is so, so important. However, I kind of left out something really important about light. So as you guys know, I've been talking about red light and near infrared for so long. And at the same time during the day, I was using a bright, sad light. So it's those white lights that help with waking you up, help with your circadian rhythm. They're used to combat mood issues and depression. So I have a really bright white one of those at my desk. A few things about that. I knew it helped wake me up and kept me stimulated, but I wasn't sure if it had any detrimental effects using it. And then two, I was also wondering if by just focusing on red and near infrared light, was I somehow missing something in the full spectrum of light? Guess what? I was. And guess what? I found the solution and guess what? I have a discount for you guys. So the founder of a company called Soulshine reached out to me and he was like, do you know about the importance of full spectrum light? And I was like, you know what? I've been wondering about this for quite a while. Please educate me. Oh my goodness. This man blew my mind. I talk a lot about the problems of blue light. That said, we evolved in natural full spectrum sunlight that our genes are programmed to respond to. And today we do not spend enough time in that light. A lot of us don't go outside and we're overexposed to blue light. It's a problem. 
And then to make things even more problematic, the common sad lights that I was talking about that are bright white, they actually do not contain the full spectrum light. They filter out certain wavelengths and they're high in blue light. So just like I thought, it was not doing my health many services. There is only one company I have found, or I guess that found me, that makes a full spectrum white light device. So the Soul Light Systems include the fullest spectrum of visible and invisible near-infrared light with traces of UV light. Yep, that's right, because you need all of that as well. Don't worry, it's not an exuberant amount that's going to cause a problem. It's just a tiny little dose that your body actually needs. You can use these lights to fix your circadian rhythm and properly stimulate your brain's suprachiasmatic nucleus or SCN in a way that it was supposed to be stimulated. It's kind of like the natural spectral diet because yes, you may be suffering from malillumination. Did you know that your entire bloodstream actually filters through your eyes in a relatively short amount of time, that's the only way your blood is exposed to the outside world. So when we expose our eyes to this light, it actually can have beneficial effects on our blood. That is crazy. It helps with skin, with mood. This is the light that I wasn't thinking about that we need. I love Soulshine's light therapy devices. I do use it in combination with my red and near-infrared light devices as well so that I can fully bathe my body in the best light that is so helpful for my sleep, for my stress, for my metabolism, for my immunity, for my health, so many things. They have so many different device options. They have one that I love that kind of looks like a juve and I sit it on my desk and it has options for the full spectrum light, which is that bright white light, as well as an near infrared option. So what I do is I do a session of the full spectrum light in the morning and then I run the near infrared to help counteract the negative blue light around me. They also have stands with bulbs that you can get. I've been using some of those on my plants. I am just so grateful that Ken at Soulshine found me because I was missing out on such a key aspect of light and I had no idea. And you can get 10% off at melanieavalon.com slash soulshine. That's S-O-L-S-H-I-N-E with the code melanieavalon. So melanieavalon.com slash soulshine, S-O-L-S-H-I-N-E with the code melanieavalon for 10% off. It's really helped my mood, my energy, my sleep, so many things. I think you guys will love it. So again, go to melanieavalon.com slash soulshine, S-O-L-S-H-I-N-E and use the coupon code melanieavalon to get 10% off site-wide. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. Okay, that's... Okay. That's really interesting. Um, yeah. Cause what I was thinking was like in all my tests, some of my, the red blood cell markers have always been like a little bit off, like every single time. And I probably tested, I don't even know how many times, like I said, because of the anemia, but on this one, they were all coming in up in range. So I found that really, really interesting. Iron stuff is all, all wonky. What is just before, and we will move on to the genetic testing, but what is, um, what is TS? That's the is that sat, iron saturation? TS is trans. Uh, yeah, it's iron saturation or trans transferrin saturation. Yeah, it's it's basically a, a show how a, a saturated a, a, the iron in your blood, uh, and uh, basically a saturation mean that uh, how much or how many molecule of uh, oxygen it, it, it carry or can carry. Okay, gotcha. And then, so I kept hint, hinting, or we keep hinting at the genetic testing aspect. So that is something else you guys offer is um, a new genetic testing portion. So I haven't tried it yet. So how does that work with, with the whole platform? 
Yeah, so uh, when uh, 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 consumers are thinking about genetic testing, they're uh, uh, mostly thinking about ancestry and basically saying, hey, I, uh, I'm uh, 50% from uh, Spain and 20% from Italy and uh, 5% from Ireland. Um, but there is a lot of more data in the genetics that can help us to understand what, uh, uh, what is your potential. So I'm looking at uh, genetic testing as a potential, basically saying, hey, you have uh, what's happening inside your body today, and that's basically the blood, and then you have the potential, what can you do? And uh, I can give you my example. I have a, a, a high risk to have high cholesterol, so it's very hard for me using a natural intervention to have my glucose as low as someone that does, doesn't have a high risk for high glucose. Oh, sorry, of high cholesterol. Um, so what we, we have done, we build in a, a, a test, or a, it's, it's called microarray. It's a, actually a, a, a very small, a, a tiny a, a plate that have around 800,000 um, sequences, or a, it's called SNP, or single nucleotide polymorphism, that basically can measure a lot of uh, uh, changes, uh, uh, small changes between you and what is expected for the population. So some changes making you better and some changes making you worse. So for example, um, those uh, 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 SNP or single nucleotide polymorphism can show whether you have higher risk to have high glucose or lower risk that you, uh, to have high glucose. It can also show whether you have a, a food sensitivity. It can show whether you are more a, a endurance versus strength. And there are a lot of different things that you can find, uh, like uh, are you sensitive to coffee? Are you a morning person or afternoon person? There is a lot of uh, uh, information that you can get from uh, uh, doing those uh, uh, DNA testing that can allow us in Insta Tracker to come and tell you, hey Gil, not only that you have high cholesterol, but also you have a, a predisposition to have high cholesterol. So it's not surprising that you have high cholesterol. But let's look at someone that have a high cholesterol, but is genetic showing that actually have low risk for high cholesterol. That's mean that it's more like uh, the effect of his lifestyle that he have high cholesterol. So he have a, a better chance to decrease his cholesterol than someone that have high, high a, a risk to have high cholesterol. How many um, tests did you say that you test for when, when people get the, the, the service? So currently we have on our uh, microarray, we have 800,000 uh, SNP, but we are uh, currently using 260 of them to uh, tell you whether you have high risk for high glucose or high cholesterol. We are adding now 1,000 more uh, that will give us uh, around 65 different uh, uh, view into your, uh, uh, into your life. And I can... Uh, uh, give you a few example if you're interested. Uh, it's it's really exciting, and our scientists are are uh, 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 looking into that. Like, uh, uh, what is your uh, uh, potential for lean body mass? Uh, what is uh, uh, are you a chronotype? Are you a morning person or an evening uh, person? Uh, about sleep efficiency, sleep duration. Uh, and a lot of the markers that I discussed before, whether you have high risk or, or low risk to have a, a, a high glucose, high cholesterol, high inflammation, and so on. Okay, I I love that so much. Um, 
dying to try that out. So although that is something I think, because earlier I was asking about, you know, the placebo versus the nocebo effect. And I do wonder how much that comes into play with the genetics. Cause I know they've done test, you know, studies where they'll tell people, I don't know the specifics, but like an exercise, for example, they'll tell them that they're more likely to, I think one of them was like, they're more likely to burn more calories or or be more energetic. I don't know that the, the exercise would be better for them. And they found that the people, even though people all had the same genetic results, the people who thought they had better genes, like actually perform better. Um, so it does make me wonder about that or like, like the warrior versus the war, the warrior gene. So it's like the people who have the warrior tendency as in worrying, like over, overanalyzing, overstressing, you know, maybe, maybe they would benefit from not, not, you know, knowing some of their genetic tendencies. I don't know that that's a whole nother, whole nother aspect, but I do agree that information is power, but I do wonder how much the placebo effect or the, or mindset does come into play. Yeah. But I think that uh, in this case, the placebo effect might be good. And again, I can uh, uh, give you an example, even in a uh, food sensitivity, uh, let's say that you are uh, nuts intolerant or not intolerant. We uh, we found that uh, uh, your genes are telling us that you might be or you have high risk to be nuts intolerant. That only means that instead of having 1% chance to be uh, nuts sensitive, you are 6%. So basically, yeah, it's six times more, but it's still only six out of 100 that have this uh, uh, genetics uh, are really uh, uh, cannot eat nuts, okay? Um, so it's good to know, but it's, uh, again, uh, good to understand that uh, the genetic is not the whole story. There are a lot of uh, uh, other that uh, include the environment and uh, what happening inside your body. So uh, what I'm trying to say, looking at the genetic alone is not good enough. You need to combine the genetic with uh, 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 the blood and the uh, uh, physiological marker and look at uh, uh, at your body in a holistic way instead of kind of saying, hey, my genetics said that I'm uh, uh, not intolerant and now I shouldn't eat nuts. Again, that's not uh, always true. So I'm so glad you brought that up because that actually really drives home why it would be so important, I think, to combine blood tests with the genetic testing, which, I mean, seems to be pretty groundbreaking. I don't know of any other companies that are, that are doing this at the moment. Um, did you guys, are you guys the, the forefront in that? Yeah. Um, and it's, it's actually a, our vision from day one. We are trying to, um, give a, a, a solution, a, a, a turnkey solution that, uh, looking at uh, as much data as we can and then give you the best interpretation and then the best recommendation. So there are some companies that, a lot of companies that looking at genetics, there are a few that looking at blood, there are uh, a lot that looking at activity tracker, there are a lot now that looking at uh, microbiome, in our uh, uh, view, microbiome is not ready yet, but we are starting to look into that and we'll add that as well. And then if you have all that information going uh, as an input, and based on that, there is a smart algorithm that looking on all of that and uh, based on science, of course, and giving you the best uh, uh, interpretation that saying, hey, you have this issue and then giving you a few recommendations. That's the, that's the, fu- the future of uh, personalized wellness uh, or personalized performance. 
And uh, I think that that's the, uh, that's the future. And we see it around us. Uh, a lot of very interesting and big organizations are coming to us and, uh, and telling us, and again, I don't want to sound cocky, but they are coming to us and say, this revolution of the personal nutrition is very similar to the revolution of the e-commerce. That at the beginning, everyone said, hey, uh, nobody will go and buy, I don't know, his uh, a shirt uh, online and go to the store. But now almost everyone is doing that. So the person's nutrition based on uh, what's happening inside your body can be the next re- revolution. And uh, we are uh, aiming and trying, and currently we consider to be the leader in uh, this revolution. And I think that that's something that will allow all of us, hopefully, to live a longer, better life. That is amazing. And so perfect because like I said, I've, I have wondered so much about a, how to properly interpret blood tests, B the problems of knowing your genetic tendencies, but then what does that actually mean on a realistic level? So combining that all together. And then I just got really excited when you mentioned the gut microbiome aspect in the future. Listeners know this is like, this is great. I am loving all of this. Okay. A few more quick questions. Um, you did mention the food sensitivities. Do you, um, is that going to look at, so that's genetic. So that's not going to be like IgG type things, right? That's going to be more, is that a, a tendency? Yeah. So um, the the food sensitivity based on blood, I can, uh, I actually wrote a blog about it like uh, two years ago because we have those questions again and again and everyone asking us, why aren't you testing for food sensitivity? And uh, we feel like the looking at the IgG and IgA is, is giving you some information, but it's not very accurate. And there is a big difference between a food allergy, meaning that uh, you really, when you eat uh, a specific food, you, uh, you're really in a risk of uh, becoming uh, sick or uh, even die. Then the uh, uh, food uh, 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 allergy that uh, a lot of it is might be uh, the placebo effect as uh, you said before and those tests are not always inclusive so we felt that uh, uh, we won't give a, a good value for the user to test of those tests very similar to testing for uh, uh, the thyroid hormones that uh, yeah we can test it but then what what is the value that will give you so we decided not to include it in our service so I'm not saying that it's bad to do that. Nothing is bad, if, but uh, I'm not sure that it will give you a lot of value. Okay. And so, but you did mention it for the genetic side of things. So there are genetic tendencies towards food intolerances? Yes. Yes. So there are a, 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 a several a, a, a SNPs or single nucleotide polymorphism or score that we are already using and uh, looking at for a, a, a sensitivity a, a glucan, gluten intolerance, a, a nut intolerance, and so on. Again, I, I want to uh, caution everyone that uh, even if you have that, that means that you have a higher risk, but it's increased your risk from something like 1% to 5%. So it doesn't, even the genetic doesn't say that uh, you are 100% have the sensitivity, just saying that you have a higher chance to have this sensitivity. Okay. Yeah, I think, for example, I think one example that people are actually pretty familiar with now where I think it got a little bit overemphasized was something like MTHFR, where people, you know, thought that if they have MTHFR, they're like, you know, that's just like this terrible situation. But in reality, I believe most people have some form of like not most, but more rather than less have some form of MTHFR, one of the SNPs. 
Yeah. I feel like these, you know, few genetic ones get ca- like highlighted and um, painted to be like the whole picture of our entire genome and epigenome, which is arguably more important, <laughs> not more important, but, you know, just as influential in the genome. Um, and I just think it's so important to have a more comprehensive intellectual and view and interpretation of everything, which it sounds like you guys can provide. So that's awesome. Yes, quite. All right. So when people use Inside Tracker, it does provide, you know, recommendations for dietary and lifestyle changes. How fast can a person, you know, after adopting these changes, how fast would they likely see change? Is it recommended that they retest to see how things are going in the future? How does that work? Yeah, I think that it's a, a very good question. So some markers can be a change pretty fast. Uh, for example, if you have low vitamin B12 or low vitamin D and you supplement with that, uh, within a few weeks you can see a, 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 a nice effect. While when your uh, glucose is uh, high, that's uh, there is no uh, 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 um, uh, 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 an easy solution there. You need to work hard, change your nutrition, change your diet, change your lifestyle. So that might take uh, longer. So what we do is uh, uh, when you uh, work on a specific uh, uh, condition or domain, we are recommending you usually four to six uh, different interventions. And based on the intervention that you choose, based on the uh, time span that uh, uh, the study that we uh, our recommendation is supported by, we calculate what is the uh, length of time that you need to follow this intervention in order to see result. And then we recommend you to test again to be sure that it worked because, again, our body is so complex that uh, it's not always working. As uh, you mentioned before about your iron level, it's not easy sometimes to some people because our machine is very complex and we don't 100% understand it. Okay. And then you also do offer the, the option for users to upload their own data? Yes, correct. How does that work with the system? Yes, so uh, we strongly believe that the more the merrier. Uh, so sounds like you have a lot of data. Uh, by any means, upload all of it. We have a, a, a solution that we build that called OCR, that basically you upload the PDF file and we have a, a software that extracts the marker and the numbers and uh, upload it into our uh, server, and then it will allow us to understand you better because when you have one uh, blood test, you have one point. When you have two blood tests or two set of blood tests, you have two points. When you have more than two, you started to see the trend. So we really like to see the trend. It's important for us, but it's also important for you to see whether, for example, the example that I gave you before about my inflammation, I never seen my HSCRP so high because I never been tested when I was sick. So now when I have, I don't know, 25 or 30 uh, time point of data, it's cool for me to start playing with that and say, hey, what happened when I'm sick? What happened when I'm after fasting? What happened when I'm, uh, I don't know, I haven't slept for four days? What? what? So, so uh, I think that uh, uh, the more data that you have, 
you start to understand your body better, you see the trend and suddenly you can see, hey, even so that uh, my marker is still in the uh, normal or optimal zone, it started to creep into the uh, 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 higher and I should be careful about it. Okay, I'm going to be uploading so much data. Oh, this is exciting. It's like Christmas all over again. Um, and then you also, you do have the inner age feature. Would you like to tell listeners briefly about that feature? Yeah, definitely. So the inner edge is actually something that uh, uh, I done together with uh, uh, David Sinclair and uh, Lenny Garanta. It's something that we developed uh, in 2015 and worked on it for a couple of years. And the idea was to give uh, our user a reading of uh, some estimation of what is their uh, biological age based on uh, five key blood biomarkers and a few in physiological markers that can that are related to longevity and i think that we melanie will already discussed a, a few of them during our discussion so definitely glucose is a very important marker for a, a longevity we discuss hscrp deeply we discuss alt which is a, a, a liver enzyme and we have there a couple of more markers, vitamin D and uh, testosterone for males and uh, DHEAS, which is a precursor of a, a female hormone. All of them, uh, we looked at them and then we see whether your number making you older or younger. And then we combine all the data together and coming with a, a number that's called inner age and we compare it to your chronological age. And um, the mean of that is less to come and say, hey, uh, uh, Gil, you are, uh, your age, your, your chronological age is X and your inner age is X plus 5, but more to come and uh, give you like a kick in the, the behind and telling you, hey, Gil, your uh, inner age is older than your chronological age, work harder in order to make it young, uh, younger, and uh, by doing that, you have a better chance, hopefully, to live a, a longer, better life or uh, don't be sick in the future. So it's, it's a way to give you a warning uh, and having one number instead of looking at all the 45 markers and uh, be confused. That's a way to give you one number that will allow you uh, to understand better what is going on with you. Gotcha. I find I'm really fascinated by the ones that you you chose. So the... I mean, it just, it adds a very comprehensive picture. So like the blood glucose, the vitamin D shows how important that is. The CRP for the inflammation, the ALT and the, um, the DHEAS, as well as the, the, the body mass index in your activity. So I oh, love it so much. And then something also for listeners that's really cool is Inside Tracker will recommend like very specific foods and changes that you can make. So it's a very, very cool system. So just two more questions before we go. So with your own personal, I mean, you've done so much work with all of this. How does this manifest in your own personal life? Like, have you, your personal diet and lifestyle, have you made a lot of changes based on your own findings with your own blood work? And have, like, what have you seen with that? Yeah, I think that it's a great uh, question. And uh, actually, I, I strongly believe that uh, the creator of a, a platform should uh, be a super user of uh, the platform. So I'm uh, definitely a, a super user and I'm trying to get tested at least uh, four times a year and every time adjust uh, uh, my uh, recommendation accordingly. Uh, so one thing that uh, uh, I adopted uh, uh, maybe a few years ago based on uh, uh, my result was to start to do a intermittent fasting, which uh, as much as I remember from listening to you, you are doing it as well. 
Um, so I'm doing it for the last few years. And uh, I think that it's a pretty easy intervention that uh, uh, if you get into the routine, it's uh, pretty easy to uh, maintain. And uh, there are more and more publications that show that there, there are a lot of benefit of intermittent fasting. Is it for uh, uh, your biomarker, but also for your blood pressure and uh, and uh, some are even saying uh, prevent cancer. Again, we are not getting into that. So uh, interve- intermittent fasting is one of the interventions that I headed. Uh, another one that is very interesting is uh, I have uh, high glucose. Again, not uh, uh, out of uh, normal, but uh, not optimal. And also uh, high cholesterol, as I mentioned before. And uh, a fiber is a very good way to decrease the cholesterol. And the glucose and the um, uh, insert tracker recommend me to eat beans. And I really didn't like beans. Like literally, I couldn't stand beans at all. Uh, but uh, uh, because I understood that the uh, beans are my uh, focus food or superfood, I started to eat them. And now I'm enjoying more and more beans. So it's like, uh, it's very interesting that uh, uh, I go to a, a new kind of food based on a, a my Insta Tracker recommendation, and I just want to give you an anecdote. If you look at uh, the USDA catalog of foods, there are more than 8,000 different food items that are available for us in the catalog. When you look at the average American in, a, in an average week, we consume only 20 of those. So basically, we are using a very small portion of a, 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 a huge universe of foods that we can consume. What Instant Tracker is doing is uh, introducing you to the your superfood that you should eat in order to improve your level. So another uh, uh, superfood that I'm uh, eating more and more are uh, berries again because of the fiber. Another one is uh, uh, avocado that I really ate, and I still uh, don't like it too much, but I'm eating it because it's uh, good for my uh, HDL. Um, I'm uh, uh, also. Uh, Based on uh, 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 currently uh, the high inflammation, I'm uh, trying to practice more yoga and uh, uh, doing some meditation. Um, uh, sometimes I'm uh, in- introducing s- uh, swimming to, again, uh, decrease my uh, uh, inflammation. So I'm, uh, uh, every time I'm introducing a, a, a different intervention, some of the, sometimes uh, uh, I'm also adding some supplementation. Uh, even so that it's uh, not as pure of the food, but uh, it's easier and more concentrated. So I'm uh, currently consuming vitamin uh, uh, D supplementation. I'm consuming some uh, um, um, probiotics. Uh, and uh, now because of the high inflammation, I, I started to consume some magnesium, which is also good for my sleep, by the way. So that's what I'm doing currently, but every time that I'm getting tested, I'm changing my intervention based on the recommendations. Wow. So you said, so when it, when they identify the five foods that it recommends for you, that's out of 8,000, as you yes. say, 8,000 potential ones that um, yeah. Inside Tracker could potentially recommend? Yeah. Yes. Oh, wow. So, wow. <laughs> that's impressive. Um, I love that. And then just speaking to, I love that you, you are actually using the system yourself. I mean, I think that's so telling. It's I mean, this nowhere near the the aptitude of this, but I developed like an app for the for the iPhone called Food Sense Guide, and um, it categor it catalogs like eight different potentially problematic compounds in foods, um, like histamine and glutamates and FODMAPs and lectins and things like that. And I just created it because I needed it for myself, <laughs> and um, 
So I think that's, like you said, is such a mark of, you know, the intention behind the company and when it is serving, you know, the, when the person creates it out of the need because they need that product themselves or they want, you know, the services that it can provide. So that's awesome. So grateful for your company, which brings me to my last question that I ask every single guest on this podcast. And it's just because I know I've realized how important mindset is when it comes to all of this, just like health and longevity and everything. So what is something that you're grateful for? Yeah, so uh, that's, uh, again, a great question. And I'm grateful for all the people that helped me to uh, build this company. Uh, I want to say that it's not uh, easy to start uh, uh, and build something from scratch. And uh, I'm sure that you have seen it with uh, what you built. And uh, it's uh, uh, take a village to build something. And uh, uh, so I, I want to start with uh, uh, my wife. Uh, that actually stick with me in all the hard time. And you have a lot of hard time when you are starting a company and we are doing it for 11 years. And before that, when uh, uh, she spent a lot of time with me as a poor postdoc and a poor graduate student. So I really appreciate their uh, support and patience. I also grateful for my uh, uh, kids that actually competed with another uh, son that I have my company. So also it's a... Uh, 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 very nice from them to be patient and uh, support me. Uh, and my parents that uh, believe in me and uh, basically uh, also were the first investor in the company when nobody uh, else uh, uh, was willing to invest, they invested in the company. Definitely my team. Uh, we have now a, a pretty big team. We have a, a more than 50 a, a team members in InstaTracker, so I'm really grateful for them and the amazing job that they are doing. Um, and definitely the investor and advisors, and uh, I want to say that we have a great uh, uh, scientific advisor such as uh, uh, David Sinclair, Lenny Garante, uh, they are the key and uh, maybe the, uh, one of the best in the uh, aging research, but also we have a, a key uh, scientist in the uh, nutrition domain and the exercise physiology such as uh, uh, Roger Fielding and Jeff Bloomberg from uh, Tufts University and many more. So I think that they are helping us all the time to shape and make the, the company better and uh, uh, serve uh, better our customers. Well, that is absolutely, I mean, that's a fantastic team right there. Um, yeah, ever since I interviewed David Sinclair on this podcast and got connected to you guys, I was just like, wow, this is, this is amazing. So I really am so grateful for what you're doing. I think it really is the future of where we should be headed with, the biohacking world, the, the blood test, the genetics, and then how that all relates to longevity and really, you know, providing clarity and putting, um, you know, responsibility and power in the individual's hands. So I cannot thank you enough for what you're doing and super grateful that you guys are also offering our audience a amazing discount. So if you use the code Melanie Avalon at insidetracker.com, you can get 20% off of any service, um, excluding the new DNA service, but anything else, 20% off. So that is off. That's, that's amazing. So thank you so much for that. And, um, again, for listeners, the show notes for today's episode, where I'll put links to everything as well, will be at melanieavalon.com slash inside tracker. So thank you so much, Gil, this conversation. I learned so much, so many things I've been dying to understand. And I was already obsessed with, 
you know, the company and what you're doing, but now I'm even more obsessed. I'm going to go, going to go add in all my, my other blood results. I want to try that DNA testing. So yeah, you've got me hooked. So thank you so much. Thank you. It was a, a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, hopefully I will talk to you again in the future and I wish you the best. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast. For more information, you can check out my book, What When Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine, as well as my blog, MelanieAvalon.com. Feel free to contact me at podcast at MelanieAvalon.com. And always remember, you got this.